Rev. Responses engine 5, engine 3, engine 1, ladder 3, ladder 2, rescue 1. We've got smoke showing. Division 1, you're on location, block 23, reporting smoke showing 727. Welcome to Job Talks Podcast. Our goal is to facilitate knowledge sharing. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests on the show belong solely to the people expressing them. We do not represent the departments, cities, or towns we work for. You know what they say, Will. You can put tube socks on an antelope. Doesn't mean he's going to run any faster. There's a lot of knowledge there. Think about it. All right, let's do it. All right. (laughs) Welcome back. Season two, episode number seven. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking to you guys about primary search. Uh, Going back to the clip we released... uh, a couple weeks ago, um, as I was putting this together, we had that uh, that shout out for New Bedford Fire Department. If you haven't watched that clip or heard about them, take a look at that. It's in our playlist clips. So, gonna get right into it here. Stanton, Virginia firefighters arrived to this home completely engulfed in flames. Their fight captured on helmet cameras. They'd soon extinguish the fire. But it was this next moment, not often captured on tape, that shows just what these first responders are up against. Using flashlights to navigate dark hallways filled with toxic smoke, firefighters eventually emerged with a victim, unconscious but alive. So uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest tasks at a fire is uh, doing a primary search and making sure that we get any and all victims out of the house um, as soon as possible or or the building. So we're going to talk a little bit about primary search here. We're not going to talk so much about primary search in uh, large open structures. I think that's in and of itself a, a whole different uh, game. So we're going to talk generally like residential structures, maybe mm-hmm. apartment buildings where you're going room to room and not in uh, not in big open spaces. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's, it's huge. Um, I was listening to, um, national fire radios podcast this morning and, uh, he was talking about, um, kind of the three principles of, um, of fighting a fire. And one is extinguishment of the fire, fighting the fire. Second is search. So finding any victims. And then the third is like ventilation. So opening up, um, and the fourth in this episode, he happened to be talking about, uh, changing his mindset that there should be a fourth component that is self rescue, right. um, or firefighter or safety, firefighter yeah. safety yeah. being yeah. available for yourself. So one of the, one of the primary functions of fire is searching and, um, rescuing victims. So one of the things that we like to say is that training is where the rescue is made, right? So it, doesn't do you any good to show up to a building fire completely untrained. Nick, I love you to death, but if you showed up to a building fire and they told you to go in and make a make a rescue, I'd call you. You call us, and I would call you if I needed to make a podcast um, because that's just how things work. So before you're ever in that situation, training and being ready for that situation, which is kind of what we're all about here is talking about these things before they happen, um, is huge. So a couple key points to training um, is to be familiar with your, uh, gear. So, and comfortable in your gear. So that could be your SCBA, 
your turnout gear, your tools, um, what you carry in your pocket. I know I carry um, a piece of webbing specifically for rescues. Do you guys carry anything like that to help you pull somebody out if you had to? Uh, not currently, no. I yeah. probably should. I mean, but right now my – no, I should. Yeah. I was going to say right now my focus is self-rescue, extinguishment yeah. and self-rescue, but I mean – you yeah. could just as easily be on that initial attack line and find someone, and now you're making a grab. Yeah, yeah. we just have a we have a department issued twelve foot piece of uh, what call it webbing. Yeah, webbing. Yeah, yeah. I, know I I always go to call it like strapping, but webbing for webbing, the purposes right. of what we're doing. And uh, I have a carabine attached to it. Just yeah, just because you know I know there's a million ways to use it, so it makes it easy. Yeah, we just um, uh, fortunately um, I just did a little bit of uh, search training with some of the guys on my group, and uh, that was one of the things is is carrying the webbing and just putting it around and like for me the seemed like the easiest thing to do is mm-hmm. just girth hitch under the shoulders mm-hmm. and then you can kind of throw it, it over your shoulder or yeah. pull backwards or whatever the case is mm-hmm. i should really carry some webbing yeah webbing's yeah. a good tool um and it's light doesn't take up space i know my old uh my old job we had the removable knee pads and a lot of guys carried it under, underneath under you still see guys that, and yeah. you'll see like yeah. the just the loop of it sticking out so you could grab it really quickly yeah i never leave the loop sticking out because i just feel like it's going to get sna- inevitably get snagged on something i i agree but something that i always forget about and it's just because you know i, I it, we don't pull the hoses enough right but you always see the video where someone you know wraps it around the hose puts it around their shoulder and so they're like literally flowing a two and a half by themselves like maybe there's a loop already made but they're yeah. flowing the two and a half by themselves because all it's all like it's all physics. on their shoulder <laughs> physics and it's like a torsional effort where now you're like this and it's yeah. like right. you have all that uh, all that leverage over, yeah. over the right. You know, there's a funny, there's a picture out there somewhere of a firefighter on the third, uh, third floor of a spiral staircase, using webbing to secure two and a half, uh, for a great shot. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you have that photo somewhere. I wrong. do. That firefighter was on the exterior <laughs> as I was involved fighting the fire <laughs> on the interior. Uh. <laughs> I used webbing to secure a two and a half to a railing. Yeah, that's and a good idea. It's a versatile just, tool. Yep. Uh, Full bore of the two and a half. Yeah. And I could have controlled that thing with a finger because yeah. I was using webbing. Yep. Absolutely. Good tool to have. And again, light doesn't take up much room. Um, so doing the training and then again, like I said, uh, getting, getting in reps with the training. So I know when we did that training, one of the guys we were training with figured out he didn't like something the way his gear was set up and was able to like mm-hmm. adjust, you know. Uh, another big part of this is knowing your district. So um, do you have like a basic knowledge of the construction types, the construction patterns um in your district or your town or your city whatever it is um you know different places in the country have different primary buildings you know like are they type three are they type five you go down into the like new jersey area you get a lot of row homes you come up here you have a lot of colonials old brick you have um you may work somewhere there's development so the patterns of the houses are almost identical you know um Even within, like, so within Cambridge, for example, I always said that East Cambridge is the most structurally diverse in the city because you can yeah. go from triple deckers all the way up to, you know, the biopharmaceutical capital of the world. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I I really experienced that in my transferring from Engine 3 to Engine 1 where I was used to a certain type of construction pattern, normally like two and a half, triple decker, like right on top of Attached. each other. Or these high rises now working towards Harvard Square where you have some very, very old buildings that might be five stories high, but they're not sprinklered. Um, so that's something I had to learn the hard way a couple of times is like even in the the district or municipality that you work in, if you change houses, it'd be a completely different yeah. building style. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
and the, knowing the construction allows you to do a few things. It allows you to kind of um, anticipate some of the hazards that are going to come with the fire movement and things like that, or how difficult it is to get to a fire. You know, particularly your district, you talk about some of those old dorms and you're getting in there is, is a nightmare. And that's know? all brick. And I had never, I had never experienced like that type of construction. You don't see that in the right. east, in the east side of the city. And now, Harvard, for example, is like that type of construction is everywhere. All of it, yeah. right? Um, and then number two is it allows you to to sort of anticipate where you might find victims. So if you have, you know, fire in area A, you can anticipate that victims might be moving or trying to get out via area B or C or something like that. I know I had heard one time. <clears throat> I don't know how true it is, but. People are creatures of habit. In, in an emergency, they're going to go to the path they know versus yeah. the path that's safe. And I think they they highlighted the um, the nightclub, the station night mm-hmm. or station 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 nightclub yeah. fire, Rhode Island, where instead of going through other doors that were open exits, everybody flooded to right the way to the that front. they came in. Right. They came right. um, so so no one, you know, general routes of people that people yeah. travel and things like that can make anticipating where you find uh, victims. You know, I don't want to say easier, but it can at least allow you to make educated decisions. Yeah. Um, and then have a game plan. So um, have a whether it's an SOG that says, hey, this is how our departments can conducts primary search. And that's going to be very different um, in a city department like ours with the resources like ours and a department that's staffing two people on their first due engine or truck and they're not getting another company to help them, you know, for several minutes. So right. um, know your SOGs and then within that also know like your roles and your crew so um, I know like I work with one other person on a squad so he and I kind of have a mindset of how we're working when somebody comes and works a detail or overtime we talk about like hey I'm going to carry the tick like whatever however it's going to work and I think like having that communication within your crew just makes that one less thing that you have to think about when the time comes and I think that there's so much and I'm definitely not the expert in search. That's typically not my role. So you guys would probably speak to it a little bit more than me, but I think tailoring your primary search approach and like even like tailoring your approach given the time of day. So like for me, if I were to be doing, you know, if I got details of squad or something like that, like if it's in the middle of the night, I'm probably going to orient more towards like bedrooms, second floor or like an occupied space where if it's like midday, but there's a car in the driveway, I'd probably more focus on like, livable spaces like hey check the kitchen check the living room areas that were like hey maybe they're trying to make their way to the kitchen to the back door or something i don't know i mean like i said i'm not an expert but that's i probably wouldn't go to the bedrooms right away at like noon mm. um uh, i, I mean used to sleep in though so i was gonna yeah. say that's where you're gonna find me yeah um so that's that's actually part of yeah. my next um next point here is sizing up the building when it happens right so yeah i think w- you can deviate from the standardized like oh i'm gonna do a left-handed or right-handed search yeah. like you can be targeted with here yeah we're gonna go well yeah we're definitely gonna talk about that specifically so um sizing up the building and the structure so number one where is the fire is it on the roof okay so we know that we're going to be operating below the fire and we can probably get victims down or say it's a high-rise fire on the roof you know we're gonna we're gonna be generally safe is it a first floor fire in a two-family where fire is extending up the stairwell and going upstairs and that's where the bedrooms are where's the fire in the structure and the type of structure. And then to, to Barry's point, where are the likely victims? So if uh, it's the middle of the night, you pull up, there's cars in the driveway. Um, nobody's outside to greet you. That's a, that's a big one, right? That's a problem. Then, then you can expect like, Hey, I probably need to get upstairs. And, and that, uh, 
that's important because are you searching are you searching ahead or above um a hand line yeah. because that 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 creates a hazard right yeah. um i think we we played it in our writ episode or self or sorry our self rescue and bailout episode um is the person that went in for a search and ended up having to bail out of the window because he was in ahead of the the hose line and the and the room flashed what 15 seconds after he left um and then anticipate the hazard so are there window bars um is there unpermitted renovation you know and that, that stuff you're not gonna necessarily know until you're in the building but um and then what about flow path flow path is a hazard that we have to consider so if we have fire burning on the c side of the building and we open the door on the a side of the building we are creating a flow path directly at us right um and and I have a, a personal experience doing that. <laughs> Barry made fun of me for it yesterday. Actually, might have been at that same fire. Barry was outside holding the uh, two and a half on. I was limiting <laughs> the damage I had, from the flow path. He was limiting the damage from the flow path. So we had a, a, a rear porches, gasoline, um, shingle siding, and uh, burning really good in the back. I forced entry to the front door. Um, I swear to you, I, and I listen, maybe somebody with more experience forcing doors than me because I don't have a ton of it. The door literally went. Oh yeah, sucked like, it right sucked open. Sucked it right open, and and my my fault was I was not ready to enter the building, so I didn't have my gloves on yet. I didn't have my face piece on yet, and when I literally just went to reach that like two feet in to get the doorknob, I couldn't. It was too hot. Right. So I I fully think that created a, a, a flow path, and when we did make entry initially to try and make a search, we were met by a wall of fire in the right. hallway, 15, 15 feet in, 10 feet into the door. Oh, yeah. um, so the flow path is a hazard that we have to be aware of, especially working ahead or above the um, hose line. Door control, Will. Door control. Door control. 100%. And, and you know what? I like, part of me was How like, excited were did you, you try reaching like, in with the Halligan to close it? Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I, like I said, hot. literally just to get my yeah, hands yeah. over uh, the yeah, threshold yeah. with burning my hands. So. Some yeah. of the doors that I've popped, I usually get, like so excited to just like put some effort into it boom pop them open you just like it's like a second too late we're like oh no and you're like trying to retrieve the door i successfully forced the door yeah now what (laughs) so what's funny is we actually did forcible entry training that morning right and uh and so we practiced that more which is great because it was like fresh in my mind i i had to take three steps to get the door open but it was quick force and it was and it wasn't even that like i I rammed the door. Gaps it. Like I, I literally like once it released it, like I went for it with a halogen and missed it, and then Ripped tried to get in and just whipped it right open. Whipped so, back, yeah. um, so that was a learning point for me. Um, but again, the flow path is is huge, um, and there are like multiple methods of conducting a primary search. So we're going to talk about some of the different methods. So this is what's a primary search. <laughs> Well, people can't see this PowerPoint, um, so they don't know. That. Spelling has been a consistent issue for the Job Talks crew. Yeah, I think you're blind because that started clearly, on day one. Ah, that clearly says yeah. search. Hold on, let started me. on day one. I gotta, yeah, let me clean yeah. my glasses. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, we can't. We leave letters out. That's squints. Our thing. We leave letters out. Sometimes I add them back in. That's right. Listen here, squints. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about some of the the methods for doing a primary search, or, or I guess the the real thing is some of like the the ideas and principles of doing it. So as usual, we're not here trying to tell you how to do a primary search. You should have your own SOGs. You should train um, with the people you work with under your department's guidance um, to learn how to do a primary search. These are just some of the concepts. So um, first method, if you will, is uh, what I kind of labeled as the basics, right? So this is the stuff that um, you probably learned in the academy. 
it's still out there and being taught. However, um, I was recently informed that they're moving away a little bit from this model um, to allow us to be more effective at searching and uh, to do it a little bit quicker. But these are the basics. And just like anything, you have to know the basics because if your technology fails or whatever fails, you have to be able to like orient yourself and figure out a way out of it. So um, kind of the basics of, of doing a primary search is obviously getting into the building, however that is. And then uh, once you make entry, if you're going through a doorway, sound the floor as you move. Um, and uh, especially if you're operating above a fire floor. And then one of the things too is, is before you even sound the door is you ever hear everybody say, reach in and make that sweep left and right. Because a lot of people again are trying trying to make that exit exit, and, and they, they just don't get out in time. Um, and then you kind of choose a basic search pattern. And and again, this is also where knowing the construction or layout is helpful. So you can kind of make an educated guess whether going right or left would be better. Um, sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, and then, so you're going to pick a right or left hand search that literally is putting your right or left hand on the wall and searching the pattern of the wall. Um, with this type of search, you kind of want to stay oriented to the wall. So you're going to use your tool, um, use sweeping motions, trying to feel out into the hallways or to like the living room, bigger space from you. I know in the academy that all kinds of things. So you can like put your foot on the wall and lay out and try and reach. You can, one guy can be on the wall and then you're next to him and he's holding your heel and then you're reaching your tools. So you can get, you know, 10 or 15 feet of reach if you need to while always staying oriented to that wall because that wall is your way out, right? So Mm -hmm. if you came that way, in theory, you should be able to get back that way. Um, And then um, make a mental map as you move. So you want to try to always be, um, making a mental map when you're working a fire, whether it's on the hose line, whether you're doing a search, whatever the case is, is try and like take note of when you find doors. Obviously, in this scenario, you're going to be searching them. Um, windows, um, furniture that you come across can help identify the type of room you're in. I don't know if you guys, I, I do know you guys have done blackout training, you know, where you're either smoked up or in a blackout mask. Yeah. How how often do you think you're in one spot in the building and then when you can finally see your oh not nowhere even yeah near. nowhere near where you think you're you nowhere are. near yeah but i will say cuz we've done we've been really fortunate we've had uh two buildings given to us in Stoughton one of them just got torn down uh but we were able to go cut up the roof before that we smoked up the whole entire building we did search we did uh hose line advancement the whole bit and that's awesome um, yeah so uh going through some of it um you know, you kind of think you have an idea where you are, and then all of a sudden you're just like, I really actually don't even know where I am right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, it happens like, to everybody. But, but then all of a sudden you come across a familiar object, and you go, okay, yeah. I know where I am now. Suddenly I am I have a dresser or yeah. a bed or a crib or yeah. a dining room table right. or something like it that. It was just nice because it was, it, we smoked up, we didn't get to go into the building. We smoked the building up, and then it was like, all right, go in. And it was like, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah we really just have to figure this out. And then yeah. you get that experience, and... You know, because all the all the searches that I've been involved in have been on like you know above or below where there's like light smoke conditions, so you're right. not on your knees and you can literally just like run through, rip through. Right. Okay. Clear, yeah, clear, much clear, faster. Clear, clear, clear. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, but yeah, actually having to like be on your hands and knees and you know stay close and and keep it together and be able to find out where you are and actually stay on the wall, yeah. even though it's like training and you don't even want to. You're like, no, I don't need to. I, you you really just want to come off the wall and, and yeah. do like the tick training, but it's like, no, that's not what we're training here. Right. 
you know, but the really the basics, yeah, you'll get disoriented quick. It, and what I feel like is that you move, like you think you move 10 feet and you moved either 30 feet or you move two feet. You know what I mean? And you just, you're like, God, how big is this house? You're you taking know? one of, you're taking away one of your biggest perception senses. Yeah. yeah. You're operating on and then tactile if you, and yeah. And then if you end up going in rooms, well now you're okay. Did I, did I come back to the same door? Yeah. Am I now back on this hallway? Which right. is, you know, why you tend to leave like somebody at the door yeah. or, yeah. you know, just inside the room where they can, they can keep contact with that because yeah. even in a small residential structure, I mean, I mean, you saw it unfortunately in, in Worcester a few years ago, that was a, either a three story or two and a half story, I think. And, uh, you get disoriented. Was and, this Menard? Uh, Menard or Roy? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it was Roy. Roy, that was because that's where they used the high, high, uh, high and, point system to get out, right? And right. I believe that was a three decker. Three decker, yeah. So, was, yeah. um, uh, sorry, I heard that uh, it's a triple decker. Three decker is a sandwich. A tree decker. <laughs> um, a triple decker. <laughs> one of our former deputy chiefs put that on Twitter. Um, uh, but but yeah, so so a, a, a triple decker house. That's not you're not again. You're not talking about searching a Walmart. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And yeah. uh, you can get disoriented just as easily and then you know if, if something happens where you lose your mask or something like that and you start taking co i mean it, it happens really yeah. quick well um, and well it's fortuitous because uh, another future episode talks about like being confident in your equipment it's gonna be next week right i believe so yeah i believe so i'll check the schedule yeah um and one of the biggest takeaways from the last lecture event that we did and like to your credit what you said earlier is that you know the save is made in training so we should be training for that operational environment. So I think one of the only times I've ever really like consistently trained with a blackout mask is like during primary search or to be confident with SCBA skills, but forcible entry, like getting, getting prepared to be doing a lot of these skills and blackout conditions yeah. because that's your operational environment. So combining those two of, Hey, you know, the save is made in training and the training should represent our right. operational environment, which is often either limited or zero visibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that, you know, I have to be better with, you know, and, and even walk in and, and even don't think about, uh, don't, don't think about like the front door. Think about you're in a hallway and you got to pop bedroom doors, multiple bedroom doors. And that's that, you know what I mean? You yeah. potentially be completely blacked out where you're literally feeling for the sills and all that stuff. So I will Wait. say, and, and, and not to take away from like the, seriousness of what you're talking about because you're right but i will say and i think we've moved away from construction of old where you have like these like solid oak doors and like these real legit locking mechanisms rich mahogany yeah rich mahogany wood and and we have our hollow core doors and things like that now and and even some of like the nicer doors um like solid core doors the locking mechanism i'm gonna tell you that most bedrooms and things like that unless and you never know, and that's like I love like watching these FDNY um, like videos where they yeah. have like these doors that have like seventy six locks on them, yeah. right? But it's you can you can mostly hip open right. these doors. You can get it, up and you can hip open <gasps> these doors. So right, you yeah, can't you, cook you, doing a B and E. Yeah, give, it, can, give yeah, it a, give it a, a like, <laughs> everyone wants to be involved <laughs> in a B and E. Right, turns out I just want to kick a door down. Yeah. I put <gasps> my shoes on yeah. and I came out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, which, which is, Shoes. which is, which is absolutely true. And again, like that yeah. goes back to, to knowing the construction, you know, in, yeah. they in, took uh, the batteries. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> replaced them as shitty half-ass batteries. <laughs> if I can't figure this out, I want to, I want a divorce. Are you I'm, watching door kicker? See what you've done to my life. Uh, Harry, are you you're okay? Right, yeah. You're right there. I literally don't even know what that quote is from. It's Dane Cook. Stand up. Oh, well, I mean, I, the shoes on. Shout out Dane Cook. 
please yeah. listen. Yeah, actually, like and subscribe. Yeah. Pseudo related yeah. to Dan Cook. Oh, okay. Story for another day. <laughs> um, I totally lost my train of thought. Thanks, Barry. Kicking um, doors down. Oh, well, so and that goes back to your. Well, that goes back to knowing your district yeah. too. Is like again, if you go to the dorms where Barry is, you're gonna find solid shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and like and like the school and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. So like knowing your thing and and you know like not to get into forcible entry, but like shocking that door, like you said, a hip, yeah. little hip or a little bump with the halogen. You'll know pretty quick if that's a yeah if that's a soft door. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. So making that making that map as you go. Um trying to keep yourself oriented to the building, always staying oriented to the wall and then maintaining crew integrity. Right. So, um, we might go and you might peel off into a room to do the search and I might stay in the doorway, but I should be able to always hear you. Yeah. And, uh, so one of the things that like, I was taught and, and that I like to do is if you're doing the search is I'll, I'll kind of sound a halogen on the oh, door or on the idea. wall. Yeah. Just, just like, you know, like, Hey, sound the halogen. If you can't hear the halogen, you're probably getting out of Too like, far. Yeah, you're probably getting out of like inte- like maintaining crew integrity with me. Also, if you need to just beeline back to the door because you found a victim, having that halogen, yeah. now you, I can hear you. I can go straight for you. So mm-hmm. that's that's one of those um, one of those things that I was I was told a while ago, and and I like to practice when I do a search. Um, and then and that also goes back to maintaining communication. Well, that's just so. optimizing efficiency, right? So in the academy, they talk about hold on to your partner's gloved, you know, the the, the, the heel, corner of their yeah. leg, but no. that's not realistic right so ways that we can optimize that through using like auditory stimulus right either staying in verbal contact you know tick directed search what have you um is just compounding upon that and making it more efficient yeah i think that is like the way to get people to start it's like baby steps like this is how we'll start right and then if you remember in academy eventually they have you they have one person sending somebody, right? They, right. they like no longer like, okay, you guys know that skill. You don't need that. Right. We're going to, we're going to graduate to this. This is what, you know, right. the real, you know, gold standard of how we're going to do things. Right. So, but yeah, that whole thing is like, it's, if the, that's, cr- it's the crawl walk. Yeah. You know, run right. Pace. And again, if, if you're doing something a little more advanced, which we're going to talk about next and things go South, well, now you have like a basics to fall back on. So, um, so even when you're doing something like camera assisted search, we're going to talk about, you kind of need to know, like, what direction you're going in the house so that if you have to leave and your camera fails, okay, I know I, I know I still stayed kind of going to the right of the house, you know? Um, and communication to your point can be verbal. It can be auditory where you're making sounds with tools or whatever. It could be physical. It could be, you know, touch, whatever the case is, just try, you have to stay in communication or it can be visual with a tick or in a light smoke condition or whatever. The yeah. Case I, had, is. I had an issue a couple of weeks ago. I tried giving a guy hand signals. I was like, I and only know the like airport you can't, signals. You can't see yeah. my hand signals in a. <laughs> Barry, Barry was literally like was waving a cloth, yeah. trying to actually make yeah. smoke signals. I was in creating the fire. a flow path as well. <laughs> Barry's on one today. Barry's I on actually, one today. Yeah. The creative juice is a flowing. Yeah. It's the, There's something. Yeah, it's the creative energy. Yeah, we're not giving you that before, yeah, before an episode anymore. You just yelled at us for like three minutes. Um, I'm just kidding. I love you. Um, so. So moving on, and like I just coined this the advanced practices, right? And so this is, use whatever term you want. This is like moving away from your basic right-handed, stay on the wall, stay touching each other searches. Um, so one of the big ones, and this is the one that we, um, this is one that we practiced recently is using a camera-assisted search. And this is a like, this is a great tool because one of the things that happens when you do those basic searches and kind of what we talked about is they are slow. 
right? Very so, slow. Slow, so you methodical. can't you can't move very quickly, and you need to be able to move quickly. So, if you have the ability to use a thermal imaging camera to conduct a search, you're going to be able to clear a primary search so much faster. Um, and and again, like a thermal camera could go down. The heat conditions could be that. Um, that, that you don't see things very well, whatever the case is, there are limitations to it. However, it can make your search so much faster. And yeah. as uh, our good friend, you know, Schraub Martinello said, he'd rather break his leg doing a quick search and getting somebody out of the building than take his time and let somebody die because we didn't get to him. Yeah. Well, you're, you're le- we're leveraging technology to optimize efficiency. Right. And, I, you know, to John's credit when you said, like, hey, this is the basic foundation mm. and these are kind of the, the advanced practices as right. you coin them. You can leverage these techniques, these ideas, and in this case, yeah. like this technology, to optimize efficiency yeah, right. and to make it faster and hopefully make the environment more survivable. I yeah. would equate it to, you know, like a medical scenario where it's kind of like if you lose your way, go back to basics yeah, and run yourself back through the ABCs right. to make sure you're not missing anything, yeah, right? And then absolutely, that's that's if, if, you, lo- if you lose your way, you have basic best practices yeah, you and basic fallback yeah basics can usually get things done but in this case i think we really need to move on to training more advanced and that's tactics. a big thing is, yeah. is 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 training to do it so right. um so doing the camera assisted search this is where the officer or one of the two partners would be using a thermal imaging camera to stay oriented in the building so instead of having to physically stay in contact with the wall you're mm-hmm. using the thermal imaging camera to stay oriented to where you are in the building um and then to scan rooms so um the officer then would send, and we're just going to use the term officer because that's the person holding the camera kind of leading the search, right? So the officer then sends the search firefighter to search rooms at his or her discretion and guidance. So one of the things that we did when we trained on this a few weeks ago is we peered in the room. We had a dummy hidden. And you can look with a thermal imager and say, hey, I can see the whole left side of this room. I can't see the right side. Put the camera to their face. That's where I need you to go search. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they do that kind of right-handed into that crevice and then you can guide them like hey you know say you saw see something so this happened to me is like i i sent the guy kind of the wrong way because you get a little bit like looking at the camera gets a little funky sometimes and i was like no no I actually go the other way and then i noticed oh i think i see legs and i was able to say hey move to your right move to your right move to your right and guide him right to what the victim right and then right back to me um so you can clear parts of rooms with the camera and like again you can't see on the other side of beds yeah. sometimes it doesn't do great like like seeing things under covers, you know, like that the depth perception on it. But you can say, hey, I can see the whole left side of this room. I need you to search the right, the closets, and on, on and behind the bed. And you can guide them. They can look at it, know where they're going, and then go do it and come right back. Right. And that visual sense, even just looking at that camera, like if you hold it up to their face and you get that visual layout of the room, mm-hmm. now they're going to be quicker, even though they once they leave you, they can't see anymore right. because they have an idea of where the layout is. Right. I think as I think it's important to focus more like you said on this ca- on camera assisted search and utilizing a tick because they're becoming a lot more prevalent. So when I first got into the fire service, I mean I started in a small call department. We had one tick camera and that was on the rescue. Mm-hmm. And now you look at most departments even like call and volunteer departments, they're usually at one per apparatus. And, and now they make personal. Affordable. We have yeah. personal. Yeah. Yeah. We have and, we have them right here. And uh, a lot I, of people don't like them. I mean, I I've used them and I thought they were pretty good, but I haven't used them in like a like a real crazy right. 
environment I, yet. I think I think they're an absolutely great tool. And uh, I mean, even now they make them. My old department, the officer on the downtown engine has one built into his face piece. Right. You know, so I mean, they're they're definitely more pro. Yeah, and, and now they're personal level. Now the technology. Have you seen the FLIR cameras? No. <laughs> they. I know they just put one on our yeah, on the have. squad. The rescue has them. Um, and they're just. I mean, they're so crisp. They're so they're so. What are the one, what's the ones that begin with a B? It's Bullard. 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 Yeah, that's what we have. We have the Bullard. little on the ladder, and then we have um, the uh, which ones did you just mention? The flare. The flare. Yeah, we have the yeah. flares on uh, on our engines, and then we yeah. all have our personal ones. Yeah. So we we had the we had the Bullards. Um, the rescue had a mix of the Bullards and the Fleer, I think, or maybe they had kind of all gone to Fleer and then actually just got an email yesterday that we're, we now have the Fleer on the so squad. So who makes those blue, the small blue ones? Bullard. 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 Yeah. Bullard, yeah. Um, the only, the downside, just a quick aside on those things, is that the button to release the camera is behind the camera. And I don't know about you guys, but we've had so many people yank, just yank yeah. them off and break them, break oh, the bracket. Break them yeah, out. yeah, yeah. We haven't, I know what Sean about. They are weird. They're like rocks. You have, to like, you have to like reach behind it yeah. to hit the bu- yeah. button. Push it. Yeah. So our uh, our motor squad actually built like a machined a little like metal bracket that comes oh. up. And so that you, and just, it says push. And so you, it's a little you easier to hit. I do, I, I do like those because when I'm walking in with that flare hanging off my neck, it's kind of big and cumbersome. Yeah. I did like the board because it was small, but obviously the difference between like the old bullets we have and like the yeah. new flares. I mean, there's, they're, well, the, it's pretty substantial. The ones, the new flares, at least the ones I, I used when I was training a couple yeah. weeks ago are, are, they're not as compact. They're still kind of like a handle, but that's what I mean. They're yeah. much, they're much more compact than the, than the old, the old school Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. the ones where you like had to look down into it and it yeah. looked forward yeah. or whatever. Literally had, had a carry strap. Yeah. 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 We actually had a, a local, a company in town, um, pretty well to do company. I'm, blanking on them right now but uh back like say 20 years ago when like these things were like 40 grand a piece yeah um the chief went to him and said hey we need these like how many do you need they're like two of them this is what they cost and they like wrote us check and the so the apartment could get them no kidding yeah yeah that's awesome yeah yeah see at, like if you work in a place that's fortunate to have like small businesses and stuff yeah. that that care like that's that's yeah. pretty no, awesome it's pretty good yeah um yeah. and then when you work in bigger places they prioritize who carries them because you can't right. necessarily put them on every piece. No, you you can't, know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, and that's an area the officer overwatches the search firefighter and orients them back to themselves. Again, keeping contact through voice. The thermal imager is contact, right? So you can see them, you know where they are. And then again, or, or physical contact. Um, the only thing you have to be aware of is potential rapid change in conditions, right? So I could be able to see you. And with a thermal imager, generally I'm going to be able to see you even if conditions deteriorate. But say that neutral plane starts dropping real low. Mm. You know what I mean? You might not be able to see that person anymore and they might have to get down and get back that's to you or point. something like that. Um so that's that's kind of what I consider advanced practices. Like, there's a little bit more, and I'm gonna we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, kind of prioritize searching. So this is like this is like the meth. This is like the the tools of searching. We'll talk about kind of the method of searching. Um, and before we before we do that, oh sorry, prioritize search is on here. <laughs> so um, talking about prioritizing the search, and um, this is actually um, Deputy White had posted this. We so we put a thing on our Facebook about it. And he, he mentioned, um, like, prioritizing searching. So if you go upstairs and it's a residential structure and there are bedrooms and there are bedrooms with closed doors and bedrooms with open doors, 
you might prioritize, especially doing a camera assisted search, going to those bedrooms with open doors first. That's where the biggest life hazard is. Um, yeah. Because the flow path, mm-hmm. because the fire can get in, the smoke gets in. Um, so you might prioritize search areas. So back to your point is if I pull up to that residential structure at night and the fire is on the first floor, I'm probably going to go right up to the second floor and start searching bedrooms. And then even more detailed is um, going into searching open doors versus closed doors. And so this is all the, the like when you get out of like that basic recruit training, right? And again, going back to kind of the, the national fire radio episode I listened to is um, the the guy, RJ, that was, that was talking um, from Capital Training had said that you get all these skills in the academy. The difference is that you get the basic versions of these skills. Correct. And then as you advance in your career and your firefighting, you gain experience and training where you should be able to make more decisions. So instead of getting on the wall, doing a right-handed search, now I can go up and say, open door, closed door, I'm going to that one. Well, it's kind of like recognition prime decision-making, right? Like now you have, you have the data and now you have the experience to put to put the two together. Right. That's what, that's what I, I like often find myself talking about is like your working knowledge. Right. There are some things that like you, you just bring it back to something easy, right? And it's like because this is what we do more of, right? Like you gain your paramedic vision in a sense, where all yeah. of a sudden you're doing something. You have this working knowledge where, like, you like know in a sense that you don't need to do this, so you can prioritize that thing last. Like when I have somebody who cannot breathe in front of me, right? Right. Yeah, that you know maybe there is something going on with their heart, but. I'm pretty sure I hear audible wheezing. Let's get this person yeah, CPAPed up and or let's get whatever the case is, right? Whether maybe they need an EpiPen, whatever it is, right? right? We know we don't need to stick them on our monitor. Yeah. So you prioritize these things. But you don't get that day one. Right. And that's and the 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 verbiage that I find myself using a lot is your working knowledge. I think that's great. What I think of how I look at things today is not how i looked at things five years ago will certainly not be how i look at things in five years yeah and so i had this conversation with um actually uh, a few people in different industries um still health healthcare related and um like a really young practitioner right and someone like our age more or less who's been practicing for a while and had the same conversation where it's like your working knowledge will change uh and you'll you'll treat and do things completely different yeah from day one to day five and it's all the same in this and it's so hard to gain a working knowledge in this field for a lot of us right right you have you have the insight i i remember a a good way to correlate that similar to what you said i think we're talking about jujitsu one time of like a a senior practitioner Mm -hmm. rolling with a junior practitioner yeah where this junior practitioner is like going 100 miles an hour using all the strength he can muster right and the senior practitioner has all those same fundamental skills, but can apply them differently and right. has the foresight right. to understand right. what's happening and kind of maybe use less energy. Sa- same thing as like a senior man versus a junior man where yeah. like yep. I'm going a hundred miles an hour, like trying to keep up yeah. and he doesn't necessarily need to use the same right. energy right. because he's seen this before. He's done this before and can uh, targeted. I'll, yeah. Yeah. I'll liken it to, to, to like my own personal thing. And I was just going to bring it up cause I know exactly what you're going to say. Go for it. I was going to say how, where you strung together a few fires in a row where by the time you got to like the third fire, you're walking in, you're using your senses yeah, and you're like, all right, I remember this. I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. That's exactly it. So, yeah. so like the first fire you go to your adrenaline, you're relying on the person you're mm-hmm. with to know a little bit more than you, which 
can be scary because sometimes they do or don't, you know, and then, and then (laughs) you string a few of these together and every time you learn a little bit and then, you know, the fourth or fifth time you go in, you're making these mental notes that you couldn't have made before because you didn't have the, you didn't have the base knowledge. You didn't have the, yeah, the the working knowledge. The working knowledge to, to, uh, to be able to do that. And, you know, like, again, like a medical thing, like you're, you're prioritizing the most likely scenario. Could you be wrong? Yes. Absolutely. But if I did this nine out of 10 times, nine times I'm going right. to be more right here. And one it. time, one time oh. I can then go back to the basics and right. come back and find out what's going on. It literally goes back to the first episode, the recognition. You're recognizing a pattern yeah. that you've seen before mm-hmm. influencing and informing the decisions right. you're going to make. And then uh, even above like open and closed doors, you can start prioritizing like, okay, now I, I, I have, you know, a kid's name, you know, they decorate their door or whatever. Okay. So I have two open doors. Well, I'm going to go to this one that has the, the kid's name on it. That's sure. likely a, a child, you know, and, and I'm going to make sure I thoroughly search the closets or places that they may hide versus a adult's room where I'm going to obviously search those, but I'm going to probably be a little bit quicker about getting through that stuff. Cause right. you know, a 200 pound adult male is going to be a little harder to hide in a closet than a 30 yeah, pound yeah. child. Exactly. You know? Um, so prioritizing your search, using the tools that are available, not having to be so stuck on the wall and getting through the search. So obviously we don't want to miss things, but we need to be fast doing this because literally every second somebody's in this environment is uh, a second closer to them not being able to recover from it. Um, and and just uh, for our own thing, so why prioritize an open door versus a closed door? If everybody's heard. I was going to mention this. Yeah. Yes. Close before you doze. It's a huge campaign in the fire service, right? So closing that bedroom door, even even with the crappy doors they have today, mm-hmm. the difference in these rooms when mm-hmm. a fire comes down the hallway is the difference between a room that's a thousand degrees and smoked up and a room that's a hundred degrees. So this is literally a study burn that they did. They burned this up. They had temperature sensors everywhere. And the room on the right had the door closed. And again, we'll throw this on our social media. The room on the right had the door closed and that was a survivable room the duration Mm -hmm. of the fire and the room on the left was not a survivable room after just a few minutes um and again why we need to be quick and then prioritize because if somebody who's in this room on the right has plenty of time somebody in this room on the left does not have plenty of time that's something i could be i leave i sleep with almost all the doors open oh yeah i especially my kids door closed tight my door closed yeah always um a good point so this is just a totally i don't want to say totally different search method um but this is a, a different from your standard entering a building and making the decision where where you're going to go in that building so vent enter isolate search right so this is this is primary search where you've identified a high threat uh, or a high likelihood of somebody being trapped or maybe you were reported that somebody was trapped um, in a room and the hose line's not yet in place and you can't advance um, into the front door of the building to hit this room. So what you choose to do is you choose to go through a window. Um, so vent enter isolate search is exactly what it sounds like. So um, again, it's going to be a target area. First thing you're going to do is vent, take out the window, control with control, um, obviously for the people that could be on the other side of the window, for the people below you. Um, also, um, Keep in mind, again, flow pass. So you don't know that that room you're going into, whether the door is open or closed. So by opening that window, you're potentially drawing fire at yourself or at the victim. Right. Um, 
don't vent until you're ready to make entry. Again, this goes back to that flow path. Once that window is open, there's no, no more controlling it. Um, and then take note of changes to smoke velocity, color, heat after taking the window out. Um, again, this is just the same thing is going back to flow path. So if you notice that, that the smoke is all of a sudden getting turbulent, dark, um, if you have a high neutral plane, like you can kind of see in that room and all of a sudden that neutral plane is on the floor, well, you know that that room is about to flash, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful. Um, and then uh, again, just be aware of the flow path. So second step would be to enter the room, um, sweep the bottom of the window for victims who may have been trying to get out of that window and do this before you sound the floor so that you don't mash somebody in the head with a halogen, right? So just reach down wherever your arm can hit, try and, uh, try and see if you can find somebody there. Or if you're a foot, foot first person, get your foot down there. Yeah. Whatever. Get your foot down there. And then, and then immediately after that, you want to sound the floor. So again, you're assuming you're operating above a hose line, or even if you're not potentially fire in that room, whatever, um, make sure you sound that floor so that you don't go through that window and right into the basement. Um, if you have a tick, scan the room and five sides, right? So we're not talking left, right. We're talking ahead of you, left, right, up and down, right? Um, and that could be, you could have a, again, say that neutral planes like down a couple feet or the smokes bank down uh, a few feet. Well, you could see the bottom of bed, right? And then you look up and it's actually a bunk bed and there's somebody there. So you got to make sure that you're scanning five Entirety sides. Entirety. Yeah. This is a one scenario where you don't really have to scan behind you. Cause in theory right now you're still out of the building making entry in. Um, Again, I said it 10 times already. Take note of the neutral plane. A low neutral plane is a high, high threat to us and to the victim. Um, And then once you're inside, this is just a tip I saw online, is leave a tool sticking out the window. So take a pike pole with you. You know, keep your halogen for what you might need to keep it for or your ads or whatever you carry with you. Take a pike pole, stick it out of the window. It does two things. It keeps the window. um, It lets you know if you hit it, that's where the window is, and it points out. And it also lets somebody who might not, have been aware of this operation who's coming around the building yeah. see that somebody's in that room right yeah, someone's you know? operating inside conducting search because we see ladders thrown to windows all the time and you don't necessarily know because you are involved in another part of the operation people are going in or whether they're just set up for egress whatever the case is smart seeing that tool sticking out the window you know somebody's somebody's in there and they're not out yet um and then uh um and then alert crews or, or alert somebody that uh, uh, VIS is being performed. I like to, um, when I go to hotels, it, I like it. to grab the uh, do not disturb things. And I like, I will put it instead of the doorknob, I'll put it on the top rung of the ladder that says like occupied. So people are like, oh, somebody's in there. There you go. You are yeah. never, ever drinking that drink before Sorry. a show again. Sorry. <laughs> you're banned. I'm like, well, I don't know where he's going with this, yeah. but you're I'm banned. just going to let him, let him go. <laughs> I yeah. can see him like, Sure. Yeah, no, it's not a good, not a good idea. <laughs> I love it, actually. Um, and then, so the the third part of this, and this is like a, I've heard different speakers talk about this and get hard up on this term, isolate. So some people are like, you absolutely have to do it. Some people are like, it doesn't matter. My opinion is it's huge. So um, isolating is isolating that room from the fire. I, so I don't see the argument on the other side. but So, so uh, the argument I've heard me. is, so the argument I've heard, and I guess I'll pose the question to you, is you enter VIS, yeah, right? You have a victim on the floor, and the door is open. Do you grab the victim, or do you close the door? I would close the door. Close the door. Okay. So that's the argument. Some yeah. people say, you should, absolutely not, you should grab the victim. My, I, I'm of the opinion that you should close the door, because you now stop the flow path. That person is already in there. You're adding 
very little time to make this situation safer. Because the other thing too, especially if they're unconscious, even if they're not and they have CO poisoning and they're disoriented, whatever the case is, it's not, is you're not just picking them up and chucking them out the window. You know, it takes, it takes time. And that whole time while that door is open, you're potentially bringing that fire to you. Right. And, and that's when you get to the point where you're getting burned up trying to get somebody out of a window. 15, 20, 30, a minute. It can make yeah. all the difference in the world yeah. from a tenable to a completely yeah. untenable So, so that's that's the argument I've heard. And I, I, I'm a believer in isolate. You know? I, I would say. I mean, I, I don't really see the, the other side of it, right. especially when it's like you, you step over and you shut the door, you turn around, and then and you then go you, to work. Then you have time to work. And then you're not... <laughs> worried about the room flashing as fast right. you, you know what i mean you can concentrate on what you're doing i don't really see the other side unless of the you're argument, right but. like unless you you know you make entry for the vas and they're right there like as soon as you're sounding the floor you have a victim then i'm just gonna take them out but otherwise if you know what i mean you think you're just gonna take them out but yeah. that's the point like, yeah how are you gonna that's do that's the true. whole point unless they're unless they're awake and uh, help affect their own rescue no, Listen, you're, a very if good it's point. a little kid yeah you're just gonna rip them right out right but if it's like oh, if it's grown. a will yeah no yeah, you might. That's you, a coordinated effort. That is a huge coordinated effort. That's a very good I mean, point. and I'm going to show a video here where they actually, um, and this is a technique I hadn't seen before, so uh, pretty interesting. But this yeah. is actually a, a, an awake person, right? And I don't know if they're dis. Uh, which video I have? Sorry. Just, just real quick, like real life story. Uh, we had four people after we started extinguishing the fire, able to get to a victim, and it took all four of these guys to to grab an old an older lady she was an old lady and bring her down the stairs four of them and like they're all you know you got your there's all these things right you have your gloves on you have all this stuff like you can't really get a good grip on you know what i mean i mean they're doing everything that yeah you lose everything so it took all four of these guys and and it didn't look pretty like they got the job done they got her down and we were able to start care and everything but the fact of the matter is, like, this woman was probably 100 pounds. Right. So imagine a 250-pound guy or girl or whatever. It's just like, good. there's no way, you know what I mean? It's, and, and I don't know. Uh, the, sta- the stairs is a, good, uh, is a good example. Like, I've never walked down the stairs in a fire. I have always had a nice controlled fall on my feet because there's like a million lines. It's slick. There's debris everywhere. Yes. It's not like you're just taking these steps. You're kind of taking yeah. and sliding and Ginger, moving yeah. and like yeah, yeah. just trying not to eat shit on the way down. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah, we um, had someone on, on the last fire that operated and rolled it like, I think fractured his ankle. Just fire was out yep. overhaul walking, just walking down the stairs, yep. debris hazards. And yep. boom. Yeah. Um, that's where I that's where I feel like the most in danger always is coming down the stairs. Well, because you let your guard down, yeah. Because you're like exiting danger, or the danger's done in a sense, right? Right. It's mostly done, and and then so it's like you let your guard down a little bit, and you just move in, and then yep, you know, gone's up. It happens. Um, so I'm gonna play a video here, and uh, and I apologize. This isn't the video I was, I was talking about, but uh, I had watched another video. And they had, like, on the third floor, a woman who was conscious, didn't, at some point, decided she didn't want to exit, which made me think she was disoriented. And what they did is they actually put two ladders up side by side, so they get a firefighter on either side, mm-hmm. and then carry that person down. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty sick technique. And I don't know that I've ever used did or been do that shown that. In the academy at that yeah, back? Yeah, I believe we did. Yeah, I don't, it's possible, and I don't remember it. It's uh, for, like, a, you know, strategies and tactics for, like, very large... Right. Yeah, I, I think we did. It sounds familiar. But. Um, so this video is um, a video of a vent enter search scenario. And um, I think what's what's worth noting here is that 
the door is not closed and that's not a fault of the person um affecting this rescue um i think that at this point by the time they got there the uh engine 12 structure residential it was kind of already engine 12 engine 19 engine 11 engine 14 i'm just gonna fast forward a little bit So this is uh, San Diego, and this is a, a helmet cam. And this is honestly going to be probably more audio than it is going to be um, visual. So basically, they they pull up. You can see here you got fire showing out of a window. There was a um, a gentleman a little bit earlier in the video saying that there were three kids in there, one on the top bunk, um, and he had a ladder in the like like a regular ladder like in the window so i don't know if he was trying to get in or if he was trying to give them a way to get out or what the case was mm -hmm. um so this is the first firefighter he says uh, it's supposed to be three kids and i'm going in, I'm going right in. so hey. he says ves right you know, so the, they're currently on, okay i was gonna say they're currently on the exterior of the structure yep. so you can see the room next door is uh is fully um involved And you can hear that he's oriented with the um with the person outside his mm -hmm. his partner there. And and you can't see a lot in this video, but what I what I I think I think you can kind of see that the back side of that room is glowing. Maybe that's just me. I think it might be back. Oh, is it? All right. I think it's just dark. I right, it's not changing. So this is the. This is the boyfriend yelling. There should there should be one on top too. So that so this room is getting, is conditions are worsening. It's getting hot. You can see that the room next to it was was fully engulfed, and I think that that's probably traveled down the hallway and started traveling in into the room. Um, so he's he's trying to cool the room. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. So he he says at one point um, he says at one point I hear moaning, and so he's trying to find where the moaning is coming from. So this room this room got um, so hot that he he actually had to exit the exit the structure. So you can hear he's kind of desperate, right? And that's uh, not a situation that anyone wants to be in. So they take the line, they hit the fire in the room um, adjacent, trying to cool the entire space down, and then uh, hit some more of the fire. And then the his partner ends up going in for the second. So he's going in, he's saying, I heard moaning to the right of the, the bunk beds. 
skipped around a little bit. There's no tick involved, right? No, uh, not, not yeah. that I'm aware of. Search. Not that I'm aware of here. This is just yeah, an oriented search. So you can see this this fire that was coming out of the um, window before is looks like kind of back in the hallway or the back side of the room. see them handing out um, another kid and then uh, they continue they continue the search um, and um, ultimately the uh, two of the three kids survived um, a 12 year old deceased um, unfortunately um, but that's the reality of a venator search right so that was the access they had to the room they had to get in um, that that fire had already kind of impeached or, or impinged on um impinged on that room and so i like in that scenario probably closing that door wasn't really an option and uh and you can see that the heat damage is done yeah, yeah the damage was done yeah. the heat conditions continued to to go and um they i mean good job by these guys getting in and, and yeah. getting getting two of those three it, out uh, alive you know to me it brought up a good point of like making a decision i wanted to pose it to you guys so you're doing you know you have your partner firefighter one firefighter two firefighter two is helping to orient the search say you know john you bring a victim to me at the window i take the victim out and now i have to go back out to the street to the paramedics you have to make that decision like do i continue the search solo without someone to orient and you know potentially give me that auditory guide back or help facilitate the search of the room yeah yeah i guess it's a uh, it's a judgment call it's a judgment call and it's one of the things that we like to highlight on the show all the time is that it is just it just depends on what your job looks yeah. like. You know what so, I mean? If you have 20 guys there, then that's never going to be the case. If you have three guys there, well, right. that will probably be the so case. So interesting time. enough, I have a user-submitted scenario for this. Um, but also, I think that uh, we risk a lot to save a lot. And if uh, we knew that there were three kids in that room, personally, I'm going to... Knowing that guy's coming back or somebody's coming back. Yeah, and, yeah uh, continue. I'm going to continue. continue. Um, so... This was submitted, Barry, you might have heard this scenario before, but this was submitted by a lieutenant on a um, slightly more suburban department. He put it on our Facebook page. Um, he said, a few years ago, uh, I was pre presented with a tough scenario with a need for a search. A little background, my department runs two stations. At the time, we were staffed with five, a shift commander, an engine with a lieutenant firefighter, and a quint with two firefighters. Received a call for a residential basement fire about two minutes from our second station, staffed with the engine. Um, it's about a four minute differential and arrival from our headquarters. So from the, for the Quint, it's about four minutes difference arrival on arrival, found a basement fire and multi-level home. So it was kind of like a split entry, um, that was extending into a one car garage under, uh, one car under garage with rapid fire development. The fire was also extending through a floor vent into the first floor living room, just inside the front door. 
The resident advised her twenty some resident advised that her twenty something year old son may be in his bedroom on the second floor. At the time this info was received, I had an inch and three quarter stretched to the open overhead garage door. Staffing um, is so important when you when you're understaffed, hard decisions need to be made. As an initial two firefighter company, what would you do? Fire attack or split the crew and have one person search solo above the fire while the other one puts the fire out. So it's a tough call. Um, I never even considered splitting the crew, but I think that we always hear put the fire out makes everything better. Makes everything better, right? And so you can concentrate on that. Like, let's say you go in and you get. 90% of, like, the bulk of the fire is knocked down, right? And now you know that you have another crew coming in behind you. Maybe, like, okay, we knocked this down. Now let's go search. Maybe? I don't know. That's... I, I can tell you what did happen on this call, and I'll, I'll tell you after. Yeah. It's a judgment call, and I don't think anyone can really criticize you either way. Like, you're making really tough decisions with mm-hmm. limited resources, so... And th- this I, is- I, I'm inclined to go with, hey, like... The only thing that's going to improve conditions overall is the prioritizing extinguishment. Right. If I felt that, like, there's a really good chance that, like, they're in a survivable, tenable space and that might change immediately, then maybe I'd make that call. But it's tough. It's a tough decision. These are decisions that these smaller departments have to make every day. Yeah. So I think this is a great highlight because, again, there's a very big difference in showing up with, you know, two trucks, three pumps, a squad, a rescue, and, and showing up as a single engine with two people with your closest person coming four minutes behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, Two questions I'll pose here. Does it change your thought process if you have an experienced versus an inexperienced partner? And does it change your thought process if the report of the kid is pretty reliable? Like I am very certain they're in their room upstairs. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously if you have a really experienced person with you and you really feel like you can get a substantial amount of work done in a short amount of time you know what I mean then it it, it, I would say like yeah maybe you do make that decision for you just to go in and make a quick grab and get out which I've actually seen firsthand at at fires and then um, what was the second part where you said a really reliable report that there is a person so and that was the second half of the same scenario yeah. is that there was an extremely reliable report and it was like, okay, let's go in and make a quick grab. Right. And in the end, you know, the fire still went out in a relatively fast fashion after the fact. I, it just, yeah. So all yeah. those things can be done. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if the reports are reliable, split the crew, especially, like I said, if, if you know that like there's to a high degree of certainty, there's someone in there and you're confident in one of the members experience that they can go in there, execute a quick search and get them out. Maybe that other firefighter, if they're just doing ex- sounds like pseudo exterior extinguishment, just put water on the red stuff, yeah, and just try and make it happen. Um, I, I, yeah, I would be more inclined, like John. So just just a little bit scenario here is it, like just to kind of paint a picture um, for our audio listeners too is um, fire looks like it's extending into the first floor, but you don't have smoke or anything in the first or second floor. So my thought um, again is, and it does change based on having a, you know, you got somebody either some of these places you don't even go to the academy before you get hired or fresh out of the sure. academy, whatever. Um, in the, in the end, the, this crew split. So the Lieutenant took the line to the basement and it was, he, he pushed he, his gear actually got burnt up pretty good. Um, and then the second firefighter went up to the first floor and realized that that fire extending only had extended a trash can. 
threw it out, went upstairs, was able to perform a search. The child was not in the, um, or the 20 something year old, but the person was not upstairs. Um, my thought on, on the scenario is, um, floors are pretty clear. So you can see, Mm -hmm. you can go up, you can isolate if you find somebody in a bedroom and then have somebody, you know, come up through a window the odds that if you're on the second floor and it's a basement fire that's going to overwhelm you i feel like it's a pretty good decision so, and which is what they did and i think i think but i also think that to your point putting the fire out is also a completely safe decision so you p- take a peek in and you see that that is just a trash can burning and you pull that trash can out and you go back and you hit the basement and make sure that it doesn't get up into mm-hmm. the first and second floor maybe that's the the safer play so um I don't think, like you said, I don't think there's a wrong, you're presented with multiple tough decisions. And this is where I have a lot of admiration and respect for these smaller departments because we have the luxury that we don't really have to choose either or. Just all getting done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's huge. And and again, like you, you know, risk a little, save a little, risk a lot to save a lot. So the, the, the validity or the reliability of the report of somebody trapped, the conditions, the, whatever the case is, makes a, um, makes a, uh, all makes an informed decision on your part. And this is again, where that experience and knowledge comes in. Um, you know, again, like, do you have the experience and knowledge to take a look back and say, okay, I feel okay with the, this person, with that report, with these conditions, sending that person, you know, if the whole house was completely smoke filled where you weren't going to be able to see, you don't have a thermal imager, like all those things, like maybe that's a different story. And unfortunately you have to wait or, you know, what bedroom is there? So it's that window. Okay. Maybe we just throw a ground ladder and do a VAIS and they come in. Whatever. I mean, there's a hundred ways that you could tackle this. And, and unless you're in the scenario, I don't think you could um, really say which way is going to be the best without being able to make those, those snap judgment calls. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Obviously it was something that, uh, good. that this person thinks Appreciate about. Appreciate so. the user submitted scenario. Yeah. Um, a lot of admiration for the smaller, smaller departments making it happen with limited resources. Yeah. Um, so that's it for search. Um, I thought that that was, uh, that was pretty good. Again, this isn't teaching you how to do a search or telling you that you should do something a certain way. This is kind of just getting that conversation started as always. So do you guys follow that, um, account online search culture. Uh, no. I don't think I've seen yeah, that. One. It recently kind of got shown to me. That they have some pretty good stuff on that. Um, yeah, check it out. Yeah, definitely take a look at that. The ever important question of the day. I want to know what your guilty pleasure food is. So, like, listen, I know there's like people like candy or whatever, but like, what's that like thing that you're embarrassed to eat in front of people? <laughs> Nothing. Don't, very, you literally, if you eat something with three grams of fat, are like, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. So, I know you have one. I have food that I feel guilty about eating after because it tastes good and I know it's so bad. For you, me. Everybody has a food that they're like, so there's food that they eat at midnight by themselves. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> other than Erica's one chicken tender. Yes, other than Erica's yeah, chicken geez. tender. You're going to be making up for that one for yeah. a while. You got one, Johnny? I'll tell you. So there's a, I can come at this from a few different angles. Number one, and this, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to this, right? But goldfish. If I open up a little kid's package, like the 100-calorie packs, yeah. the whole thing's gone. There's obviously no question about that. But it might as well, if I open up like the party size bag of it, it might as well be the 100-calorie because I don't stop. I just can't stop. I even yep. have like a method of how I eat them. <laughs> Dude, you I know? have methods eating. My wife thinks I'm a weirdo. But. So, yeah, it's just, it's, um, but I, I try to stay away from them because I know they're just, incredibly unhealthy for yeah. you. They're like some of the worst I feed them. I feed yeah. it to my kid all the time yeah. get them get them get them some uh, they, they actually make like 
fish brands that are like extremely healthy. Yeah. You know, but I, no, but I will say people make fun of me for some of the things that I do eat. Cause that's like, what that's, I want to know. Cause that's people like that's effing disgusting, but I always have in my locker at work. And then when I cut them open, people are like, what are you eating? But, uh, I always have like canned salmon and, uh, sardines. Yeah. Good for you. Dude, sardines are delicious. Really? I mean, I've never had them. Oh, we know I'm John's a liar. Guy. And, uh, yeah, but it's like one of those things that like I pack them with me on every hike and I say to her, hey, you want some sardines? And everyone's like, dude, They're no. super calorie packed. Like I know that they're actually, dude. there's a lot of calories Sup- there. I just super good for you? I don't like seafood. Okay, so that's great. Love them. That's great. Yeah. No thanks. Love Mount Barry? I don't know if I have a food that like people see me eating and are like, what the hell? Well, I can tell you <laughs> if you ever watch Barry eat pickles, you will be like, what the hell? Because okay. yeah, he does with pickles what you do with yeah. goldfish. <laughs> yeah. If there's an open can of pickles, like unless someone actually physically stops me, I'll go. I'll take it all the way. Especially those. You should get the big jar of the lap. The jalapeno, the ghost pepper pickles. That was a really bad decision for me. We we did that in the firehouse, and um, Barry's tummy did not like ghost pepper pickles. (laughs) I like thought my like esophageal lining was just being. I don't. I don't mess with spicy food like that. Oh, dude. I don't. I I haven't met hot enough yet. I know it's out there, but Wickles pickles. Have you ever had Wickles pickles? I've had Wickles. they're hots for yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. Wickles pickles are good. You should try those out. Yeah. I feel like I'm Wickles, a big yeah. Nathan's. Nathan's big Grillos, man. Grillos are also good, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, it, yeah, I guess it had to be. I mean, I have food that, like, it's what, this one specific pizza place that's, like, that dirty, gross, disc- I mean, in the moment, yeah. you're like, this is amazing, and then five minutes later, you're just sweating and just feeling <laughs> absolutely yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Um. But I, yeah, I suppose pickles because I right. just can't stop. You weirdo, Nick. Everybody's got one except for Barry, apparently. The one you just don't eat in front of other people. Um, like you mean like a, like a like a sit down watch a movie kind of munchy? Would you food? like to Would you like to know mine? Maybe this will help you yeah. guide your decisions. Well, you're the one that came up with the question, so you should go first. Uh, here we go. Vienna sausages. Oh, <laughs> I fucking mini, love mini weenies. <laughs> Vienna sausages. Really? And these are like, all right. So now it's out in the open. I like them. Um, don't judge me. Actually, do judge me. Maybe yeah. I'll stop one day. He likes little wieners. Listen, whatever, man. I, I love. I, like, I go to the grocery store and yeah. I, like, I grab a can and like I eat them and like throw the can away before I so, get home so people don't know about it. I, I drink pickle juice. Is that no? That's that's normal. Yeah. Okay, pickle juice is great for you. Electrolytes, man. Yeah. I will say that that reminds me, I'll go get like the single serve, like uh, B&M or Bush's bean, like baked beans. Yeah. Like this, and I won't even, you don't even heat them up. Just yeah. eat them right out of the, right yeah, out of the can. See? And when yeah. people, <laughs> people see me, people see me do that too. And they're like, what is wrong? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about right <laughs> yeah. there. I yeah. prefer to eat SpaghettiOs cold. Everybody prefers SpaghettiOs cold. What are you, yeah. I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm really killer? working hard to try I prefer not to eat weird. SpaghettiOs, honestly. I think I they're delicious. Be- Original SpaghettiOs. The thing is that your your taste buds aren't as good when things are cold, so you don't heat spaghettios up because you don't want to taste them all the way. You just want to taste like them a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Nick, there's this um, <laughs> there's this like uh, uh, munchies mix kind of uh, you know like where they sell like pop it's like popcorn yeah. and pretzels yeah. and all this stuff, right? But it's Reese's, so it's like caramel chocolate drizzled popcorn yeah and then there's pretzels and then there's those mini Reese's cups in there too oh yeah that sounds delicious okay so here's the thing right I could eat a truckload of that yeah (laughs) 
without like with no milk, no water, nothing. Like I'll just yeah. eat Someone it. Someone stop this man. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. Thank it's God always, they yeah. sell it in like portioned packages. I mean, yes. I'll, I'll eat them until I get sick if I have a whole party pack. It's just like, that's, well, I open this bag. It's that's time to crush it. Portion control is just not. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't exist for me. But you know, you know those guys. Like you wake up in the morning and they're like Twinkie wrappers in the thing, and you're like, yeah, nah. you with gum. Nah. So. Yeah, that's me with gum. I have, I, all right, real quick, you fun story. Gum? I once thought I had a heart attack at the fire station. And Barry was mad. didn't alert at me. anyone. Barry was mad at me because I, I was didn't. Pissed. I hey, Will, you got any more of that gum? Yeah. So no, apparently, I, I, I only learned this afterwards because it was the first time it ever happened. And I eat gum like this all the time. Is uh, the sugar alcohols mess people's stomach up. So, like, that sugar free gum has sugar alcohols in it. I have zero control with gum. Like I can't buy a pack because I will. I do. I have to chew like six pieces at a time. Like I can't chew a piece, like a single piece of gum. It's just because you have a I, large You know mouth. what? This might piss you off. I eat half a stick at a time. That would. Erica's I couldn't do it. Right? It's so small because I just don't need a whole piece. It's like I it just. Know. I need. So like, you know those orbit like pop yeah. tops with sixty. I yeah. bought him one of this pop this tops th- with sixty. <laughs> no, I bought him this one of these true, at the beginning of the true story. beginning of the shift. Nick, the six. You know, like the. For the center console yeah. of your truck, yeah. I bought him one of those at the beginning of the shift. This is the shift that he thought he was having an MI. It was gone by the morning. All sixty pieces. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I woke up with severe chest pain, and I I was like, I think I'm done. Like I like I'm not kidding. Like I actually for real thought I was having a heart attack. I went down, put myself on a twelve lead, the whole thing, and then a few minutes later, I realized it was stomach problems that yeah. felt like it was my yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but didn't alert anyone in the firehouse. And then, so I started looking, and I realized it was the thing. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't. You can't give me a pat. I will eat it all. Yeah. Well, not anymore, because that was so incredibly painful and scary that now I'm moderating myself. Can I tell you my future guilty pleasure? Sure. Um, I have a box of Velveeta uh, <laughs> shells and cheese. Yeah. Um, that I'm saving for the day Will retires. Oh, yeah. That I right. found in my locker. So I'm in degre- I have no idea how old this box of Velveeta it, it, it probably expired freezer? years ago. No, it's just the... No, it's like the, the powder. Know. Yeah, like any yeah. shells and cheese but Velveeta. We're both oh, going to die right. when and I retire. I told him, I was like, we're, we're going to cook the shells and cheese and eat it when you retire. <laughs> so it's probably <laughs> probably five years old right now. Oh, so. Well, five years since you yeah. found it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I have another old. one for Chris Abizal. I have the, the root beer from when I was just trying Ugh. to implement cost savings. I, is the uh, I would rather eat the shell yeah. and cheese. Mm-hmm. Refreshé um, root beer. Refreshing. Chris, I'm looking forward to drinking that, buddy. <laughs> um, that's it. That was it. Uh, right. Thanks for tuning in. That was a fun episode. Yeah. I just want to go on the record and apologize to everyone for my caffeine-fueled <laughs> antics. Sorry. It's a, you're, you were actually entertaining for once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, that's it. Uh, as always, please subscribe to the channel, like, uh, check out our uh, links and social medias, and uh, interact with us. We appreciate you. Job Talks out. <laughs>